we, um, I, I am running, I, I have bills that I submit uh, to the, to the, to the uh, House of Representatives, the legislature, to try to get them into law. I'm running three bills this week. They, they put it all on the same week for different reasons. But uh, tomorrow I will be submitting a bill that is, um, I mean, I'm, def- I'm, represent- I'm presenting the bill tomorrow that is a personhood a bill that is personhood of a baby from the moment of conception has the same rights as you and I do. Um, it is, <clears throat> it's, um, pray for me on this. You know, I, I want to see it. I, I did a similar one last year. I made this one a little stronger this year. Uh, the chances are if in the natural, it's not going to leave committee. It's going to go to committee and die there. They don't want it to get to the floor. I mean, for some reason that it does, and I've been praying, God, you, you can do anything. You do miracles. And so um, it would be nice to see it get to the floor. I've already, some TV stations have already come and they're kind of picking at me and poking at me with this because the, the question is, is if it's personhood and they have the same 14th Amendment rights that, that all people have, then wouldn't the mother be in trouble if she has an abortion? And the answer is yes. Um, I know this is, this is not popular. In fact, the, the biggest push out, pushback I get for this subject is from the uh, pro-life groups, is don't make the mother guilty. <clears throat> I'm not making anybody guilty. It's, it is um, against the law to murder people. That's, the, that's where it is. And if you get in trouble for murdering an adult, you should get in trouble for murdering a baby. And so that's where it comes in. I know that's pretty strong, but guys, until we start drawing a line... We're never, ever going to deal with this subject in our state. If, if we keep playing games like this, it's never going to go away. And so, yes, that's the, that's the bill. Then Tuesday I'm presenting one that has to do with um, they have to tell the mother. The, once the mother takes an abortion pill, uh, if she changes her mind, they have to legally tell her what the reverse of that is because almost 70% of all babies live if mom changes her mind within 48 hours after the pill. But they ran a, a bill last year that said that's all fake, there's no science to that, and um, it's illegal to tell the mother about abortion pill reversal. <clears throat> Although I had probably 50 or 60 kids in the room that their mothers had changed their mind and the babies lived, and they literally got up afterwards and said, we don't believe any of this. This is all lies. The kids were in the room, and, and mom was testifying. And so those are, um, those are, and then I have one having to do with human trafficking on Thursday. But um, so <clears throat> if you think about it, pray. And uh, this, we, we actually won, I wanted to take a minute or two and mention this. We actually won kind of a... a, a we won a little bit this week. It's the first time since I've been a representative for a year plus now, a year or two months, that we actually won something. And this was what I was talking about last week. They had presented a bill, and we, and we debated it last Friday, and then it got laid over because it went nuts. Everybody was losing their mind and saying weird things. and all. So they got scared they were going to lose this, and so they stopped it and laid it over. Again, Monday we debated it, stopped it, laid it over. But... The, what they had done was there's a law that says if a, if a felon wants to change his name, sexual identity, all that kind of stuff, they can do that. And, uh, and what it does is it gives them the ability to put a bunch of layers in there so that you cannot 
follow the, the legal uh, felony trail of this individual. And I say that's not what it's about, but that is what it's about. And so what it, what it does is if you have enough um, name changes and if you have enough times, and you can do this as many times as you want, but it, and then you have uh, sex change, identity tied to that back and forth, back and forth, whatever. Uh, then, then when you're looking at a sexual registry in your neighborhood, a sexual predator registry, they won't, they won't be on there because they've changed so much it's confusing, right? That's the point. So um, <clears throat> I was arguing against this, and uh, last Friday I knew they were going to do this. Uh, then they came back this week and said, we want to name it Tierra's Law, which is, which is a guy named Dwayne that changed his name, changed his sexual identity, and he is a 24 convicted felon, 24 felons he's been convicted of, and, um, and a sexual predator, all kinds of things. Most of, the, most of the crimes had to do with prostitution, lewdness, or uh, sexual predator type things. And so um, I was arguing against this, and I got kicked out of the well because I used his name. The name that he committed the crimes under, I used his name, and that's against the rules. Now, it's not against the law, and it's not against... I'm not going to go down this road too much because there's more information coming for them kicking me out of the well. But we'll just go move on from that. But the interesting thing is, we debated this for hours. When it came to vote on the name change, to to, to, to name a bill after a horrible criminal, they lost it. That we weren't, we weren't expecting that. By two votes, enough Democrats said this is a bridge too far, and we're going to have to face our constituents for this. And uh, they lost it. Now the bill still passed, but it was not allowed to be named Tierra's Law, which is actually a huge win. So, so um, <clears throat> the last thing: be paying attention on the on the world scene. Be paying attention to. Um, Iran has now said this last week verbally that they are um, declaring all-out war. That's, this is not the way they said it, but this is what they said. They're declaring all-out war in Iran, and they're going to use Hezbollah to do it. They're going to finance Hezbollah as an all-out attack on, on um, Israel. Iran is saying that. And so, um, so it's continuing to escalate over there, and we need to be really paying attention to all of that. All right. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. <clears throat> this is, I think this is very important for us as a body. This is one of those that's, it is, it is individualistic. You'll see as we walk down through this. But I think this, this message this morning is very important for us as a body of believers, as a group of people that gather together. <clears throat> and, um, and it's actually from a scripture I didn't really understand for years. When I was younger, I... Uh, I just couldn't understand why Jesus was so mad at this tree. And, uh, and then I, I realized, you know, I'm, I'm reading in the Old Testament a few places, and I go, oh, 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 I understand. Maybe that's what's going on here. So let me, let me I'm just going to kind of read down through this. I'm not going to unpack it a lot right now. I'm going to unpack it a little bit more as we get down further. But Matthew chapter 21, verse 18, there's some important things to pay attention as we're going through. I'll point those out. Verse 18, in the morning, as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, that's important. Jesus goes to Jerusalem, and he comes back from Jerusalem in this story. Now, he's been doing this off and on, back to Jerusalem, back from Jerusalem. Okay, so that's important because that's the key to the, to the whole understanding of this. In Jerusalem, back from Jerusalem. That's the key. Okay? And he was hungry, and he noticed a fig tree beside the road. <clears throat> he went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. 
Leaves means there should be figs. That's what that means. Okay? Then he said um, to it, the tree, the fig tree, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered up. This, to me, seems a little extreme. I wanted a fig. Death be to you. The disciples were amazed when they saw this, and they asked, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? So they're looking at what happened, and they're trying to understand how that happened. Interestingly, in this this story in Matthew, the same one in Mark I'm going to read, nobody asks, why did you do this, Jesus? They just ask, what's going on here? How did that tree wither so quickly? Okay. To me, I, I would want to say, Jesus, why are you so angry at this fig tree? That to me, that's the question, and that's what we're going to unpack a little bit here. Okay. So then Jesus told them, and it appears like he is not answering the question. They said, how did this tree wither so quickly? And he begins to explain something that, um, that doesn't seem to quite make sense to this. Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. You can pray for anything and if you have faith, you'll receive it. So let's go to Mark chapter 11, verse 12. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, this is back and forth, Jerusalem, right? Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So these were, these, it was a mature tree. Now it is at the beginning of the season. He explains this. So he went over to see if he could find any figs, but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit, except that the tree was fully in full leaf or fully bloomed. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. The disciples heard him say it. Verse 19, that evening, Jesus and his disciples left the city. The next morning as they passed, this Jerusalem, back and forth, that's the, that's the important. The next morning as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered, up, uh, withered from the roots up. Now, <clears throat> some people say, well, it had withered immediately or it withered over the, the couple days. I don't think those are, uh, I think that's the same thing. So, Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed. Now, I love this. Because this is still fairly early in the uh, Jesus-disciple relationship. I think that's important. Because Peter says to Jesus, look, Rabbi, I think toward the end of the relationship with Peter and Jesus, I don't think Peter would have called him Rabbi. I think he he would have called him something else, potentially even Messiah. Because remember, he has the revelation. Peter is the one... Where Jesus says, who do you guys think I am? And, and Peter finally said, you're the Messiah. And Jesus said, now you're getting it. I'm going to build the church on that thought. I'm going to build the church on the understanding that you know I'm the Messiah. Right? So he says, look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain. doesn't appear that Jesus is talking about the event, but he is. May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. When you are praying, first forgive anyone holding a grudge against that you have a grudge against. 
This is where uh, Mark is adding a little bit more of the conversation that Jesus had there. First, forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Um, I'll, I'll throw this out here, and I'll, I'll address it a little bit more, but it's interesting how important forgiving others is to our forgiveness and also us walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't think we process that much in a healthy way in American Christianity. We, we have, I talked about this probably a month and a half ago, but we have this, this um, thing in American Christianity where we say, yeah, you're supposed to forgive people, but we don't always do that. And we seem to think that it's going to just all work out. It's going to be okay. But the Lord is, is very clear. We're supposed to forgive people or we can't be forgiven. And, and, and the reason is because we're holding, Jesus is holding us accountable for the way we're holding others accountable. That's what he's doing. This is the same concept as don't judge. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But the, the scripture that says um, judge not or you'll be judged, that, that means whatever standard you hold for others is what I'm going to hold for you. Not because Jesus holds the standard for others, but because you're saying this is the standard. And he says, okay, then this, that will be the standard we go with you on. Okay, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. Right, so now we see where <clears throat> um, Jesus, going back and forth to the temple, sees the fig tree, no figs on it, curses the tree, the tree dies. All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is the way they act. Now, this is where the judge, not or you be judged, comes in. I, I've, most of the time when I hear people using the term, the this, this sentence out of Scripture, judge, not or you be judged, almost all the time I hear that, they're using it improperly. And they're usually using it uh, as, a, as a pejorative poke at somebody else, right? That somebody says something about, um, do you think you should be do that? Oh, you shouldn't judge me. You, you're, the, you're the horrible person because you noticed something wrong in my life. That makes you the bad guy. It doesn't matter that what the bad thing in my life may be I'm a mass murderer. But you noticed it, and so therefore you're the bad guy. You're the judge, right? That's not what it's saying. It literally just means how whatever standard you hold others to, you will be held accountable to. In fact, that, that word judge actually means canon, and it's like the ruler. Not canon as in boom, but canon as in which things are measured by. And, and that measuring stick is what you place down, and the Lord says, okay, then I'll measure you according to that. But he's saying here that in, in the body of believers, the sheep, you know, I've often wondered about this, just so you, just so you know, I, I process this kind of stuff. You know, sheep are really dumb in the animal kingdom. You know, they're not that bright. The Lord calls us sheep. I've always wondered about that. Lord, what are you trying to say? But either way, so... <clears throat> It's not important. Let's move on. But he says that wolves come in among the sheep, that there are people that come in among the body of believers, and they're vicious wolves. They are there to, to do the work of Satan, steal, kill, and destroy. And we're supposed to be paying attention to this. We're supposed to be noticing this. And the way that we can tell whether or not they're doing the right thing is by their life. Does their life match up to the Word of God and potentially what they're saying? And I've seen where people can say a lot of good things, 
but their life is not matching up to this. And we're supposed to look at that, see it, recognize it, and recognize that they're not actually here for good. Okay? Now, um, I think we have to be careful with this because I think you can pick on people too quickly. Right? You, you know, you, the person doing the life group at your home, they, they uh, aren't perfect. And so immediately, if we're not careful, we can just crucify people because, well, they're not perfect, and, but they're going to lead a Bible study. Guys, I'm not perfect, and I preach every week. And what I say is from the Bible. And, but, but I would also say, to back that up, is, but if you look at my life in general, I'm producing good fruit. It doesn't mean I'm perfect, but I'm producing good fruit. And that's the standard which, which, which we look at each other is, are they, are they really producing good fruit? Now, things that are biblical fruit, not, not what we just think. Okay? John's very clear that, that uh, the, the most important fruit that a Christian produces is other people, their souls getting saved. John says that. Okay? That it's people coming into the kingdom of God. Also, the fruits of the Spirit are part of this. Um, opportunities for ministry and connecting with people and really caring about people's life and soul, not just what they bring to us, right? What they can, what they can give to us somehow. And so looking and checking this out and saying, what, what fruit is being produced? And I think this is the most important thing for us is you look at it yourself and say to you, to yourself, what fruit am I producing? Not <clears throat> not do I not what my heart desires, but what is actually being produced. I think this is a big problem that the church has, is we judge other people on what they're doing, and we judge ourselves on our intentions, right? Our desire. Well, I wanted to, I meant, you know, but, but what's actually being produced? What in our life is being produced? Look in the mirror and ask yourself that question. What, what are the things in my life? Look through, the, look through your workplace and your family and all this kind of stuff. What's being produced? Because here's, here's reality. Things are being produced, but is it good fruit that's being produced? And he continues on. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. <clears throat> so every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. I remember when I was a kid, my, my grandfather, my dad's father, had a, had a farm in southern Arkansas, and we, I would go there in the summer and stay with him. And, and um, he had an orchard, about an acre orchard, maybe a little bit more, but... And uh, all kinds of, of uh, fruit trees, and they were lined up. He knew what each row was and what they were doing, all this kind of stuff. And then he had a little hobby. There was this one tree that sat right at the corner, like as we come toward the orchard, sat right there. And that tree, he grafted branches from all the other trees into this one tree. And, and um, some of them just didn't take because there's, there's a difference between what's called um, cold, cold weather fruit warm weather fruit, all these different kind of things. And he's just growing everything out there. And, and they were good. I loved the orchard. It was just, I, I loved the whole farm. It was just wonderful. Walk through, walk through the, the corn rows and just eat corn straight off the stalk. Ah, that's great till you get a worm. But it's just good stuff. <laughs> peas, take peas and just eat them as you're walking along. I mean, this, I loved that stuff. 
And so he, but I would always watch him with this, with all of his trees, he would trim all the dead branches off and then um, he would grab things in and sometimes they took in this tree and sometimes they wouldn't. So he would cut the dead ones off and, and I always wondered, well, why don't you give it a little chance? But he, but he told me it was the opposite. That's not the right way to look at it. Cut the dead branch off quickly and you can still do something with that. Okay. Leave the dead branch there and it eventually spreads to the rest of the tree or potentially spreads to the rest of the tree. Which, which I just need to throw this out here because this happened to me last week. And, I, and I'm discouraged by this. I, I saw this on my, my doorbell camera. Somebody, some group, I don't know who they are. We haven't figured out who they are. We think we might know. But some group came to my house. They had yellow vests on and, and insignia, but we couldn't read it. And I have a tree out by the road, and they cut my tree down. I didn't ask him to cut my tree down. I didn't get anybody permission to cut my tree down. But we've narrowed it down that it might be Colorado Springs Utilities has a forestry department, and when the tree dies, they cut the tree down. But it's not dead. It was growing last year. If you're going to cut dead trees down, don't do it in the winter. They're all dead. (laughs) And I went out and looked at the stump. The stump was alive. It's still alive, but now my tree's this tall. And it was like 12 feet. I just, I, I'm sorry, I had to tell you that. It has nothing to do with what I'm saying except it's trees. <clears throat> but, you, but you can't just come and cut somebody's tree down, right? Right? Somebody did ask me, you think this is political? <sighs> I think that's a stretch. I mean, I know, I know I've irritated our mayor recently, but surely he didn't, like, go cut a tree down in his yard. <laughs> I don't think he would do that. Pretty sure he wouldn't. Go see if he's got a tree. Cut her down. <laughs> Either way. All right. So let's get back to this. Um, a good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Guys, now you understand he's talking about us now, right? He's not talking about trees there. He's talking about us. And this is the, the uh, eternity of fire mentality. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Okay? Now, let's go back to the fig tree and Jesus' Jesus's hate for this fig tree. Um, <clears throat> he's actually trying to show us something. In fact, this is one of the places. There's a, there's a handful of these through the New Testament where I think that what Jesus is doing there actually reaches more into the future than it does for the time being. Okay, the disciples walked by, they saw this, they understood this. Um, I think they understood more than what I, it took me a, a few years to figure this out. But I think they understood it immediately. But I think Jesus is speaking more to not like just us now, but the church over time more than he is speaking just to the disciples at that point. Because here's the thing, Jesus is coming back and forth to Jerusalem. He's going into the temple, we know this. He's going into the temple regularly, daily to pray. He's, he's, we get a bunch of little pictures of just moments when he's in the temple, right? Sees the lady given the offering, sees the different people, sees the Pharisees, Sadducees, all this. So we know he's in the temple back and forth every day. And this day, he, he is headed to the temple again and frustrated, I believe, very, very frustrated because he's going to what... 
So one of the times he goes to the temple, he gets so upset and angry that he goes and sits outside and makes a whip. Sits down and makes a whip. That's, that's serious premeditation. Right? This isn't just, oh, I'm angry. What? I have a whip. You know, it's not that kind of thing. He goes out and he sits down and he, and he weaves or however you make a whip. He goes and makes a whip, and then he walks back in, and he kicks their rear, and he kicks them out of the temple, throws their, their um, tables over. This is, this is how he feels about the temple. He's very frustrated with what he sees going on in the temple. He is frustrated by the people that are supposed to be the priests and the people that are the leaders and the spiritual leaders, the lead people to God, and, and get them to worship God. And he's... he's He's headed toward this, and he's hungry, and he sees the fig tree. I believe he's angry and frustrated at the temple and all the stuff to do with the temple. So he goes over to this fig tree. It's full-leafed, doesn't have figs on it. Now, this is my paraphrase of what I think was probably going through his head. This is my posit, right? So he goes over to the fig tree, no figs. He's like, you had one job. You have one job. Figs. No figs. See, I think, I think the frustration is the temple. You have a purpose. You have one purpose for being here, and it's God. It's not your religious stuff. It's not your rules. And we see where he picks on them all the time. He says, you'll tithe even the tiniest little um, seasoning, but you don't care about people's lives and souls. You'll come up with all the rules, but you don't care about the children. And, and we see many statements where he makes this. And he calls them, um, they're, like, they're like whitewashed tombs. This is, this is how Jesus sees the, the temple and the people running the temple. Not the temple itself, because that's where he says, my, this house should be a house of prayer. My father's house should be a house of prayer. But it's all the people running the show and doing the stuff. And they're playing games, and they're not going by what God has said. The, the, the temple doesn't exi- is not existing for the purpose. And he's saying, you got one job. you got one job, and it's God. And so he comes to the fig tree, and the fig tree gets the brunt of it. All right, you got one job, figs. How hard is that? Figs. But there's no figs. And he says, boom, you're dead. Nothing's going to ever eat from you again. This, this idea that somehow that Jesus is, you know, all he does is, is like float around with a glowing frisbee over his head saying, love, love, love. That is not scriptural. Jesus gets angry. And here's the thing, guys. Every single one of us, we're going to stand before Jesus someday. You understand that? And, and I think he says to the church, but I think he says to us as individuals, but he says to us as the church, guys, you've got one job. And that's God. Glorify God. Love God. Love people. This is, in fact, he says all of the law, everything hangs on that. Can we love God? Can we love others? Those are the same subject. Those are not two different subjects. 
We've separated them in American Christianity, and we've made it where you can actually have a Christian a thought process, a thought of Christianity being defined as loving God, but not loving your neighbor. That's not accurate. It's not, it's not biblically solid. If we're not truly caring about the souls of our neighbors, then according to what Jesus said, you don't really love God. You got to love, they, they got to go together. If they don't go together, one of them is, is, is twisted in our thought and our existence to the point where we're not, we're not being obedient. And I'll tell you what's happening in society today is we've twisted it around, pushed God out, and society says, well, we're going to love our neighbor. The problem is, is we don't love God first, which means we are so twisted and perverted in how we love our neighbor. We don't really know how to love our neighbor. We're not loving our neighbor biblically. Why? Because we're not loving God. <clears throat> we left God, we pushed God out, and we said, we got this, we'll love our neighbor. And you know what happens is it gets so weird and twisted in how we love our neighbor that we've gone all the way past that into complete humanism. And we say, well, actually what we'll do is we'll love our planet. We'll love creation as the way scripture describes it. You worship creation rather than the creator. Now we've gone all the way past loving people to the point where loving creation means we got to get rid of the people. Because the people are the blight on the planet. I hear this all the time in the capital. So what we've done is we've taken what God has said. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor. Push God away. Loved your neighbor. Then we push that away, and now we're loving our planet, and we're the kings and the rulers of the planet. Guys, this is, this is very unhealthy. And here's where I think it comes to us today is the fact that the church is, is part of this. The church in America has become part of this where a lot of the church really does love the environment more than they love people. And they're leaving God out. And we're getting to the place where this is really not about loving God the way he wants us to. It's about what we desire. It's about our plans. Again, I keep describing this, but I think the church is, is splitting in America. We've got the church that really is, God, your word, we submit to you. There is sin. We're going we're gonna to ask, we're going to repent of our sin, and we're going to serve you with the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Then you've got the church where the, the society is embracing it, the government's embracing it, and it's completely woke, and it, and it can't stand against anything. Because, well, if you stand against something, somebody may not come to your church, or we won't be liked, or we won't be accepted. I, I never realized how much I don't care about being accepted until I'm doing right, what I do right now with this House of Representatives thing. I realize I am very comfortable not being accepted. I've always kind of said that and thought that, but I actually don't, I didn't know how much it's actually enjoyable. <laughs> it's, a, it's a breath of fresh air. When they say, because I, I, the example I got when I got kicked out of the well is I was saying, I'm not, I don't believe in gender identity. I'm not going to go along with your, your words, your 250 genders. I'm not going to go along with this. That's a manipulative lie. I don't believe there's such a thing as dead naming or misgendering or any of this other kind of stuff. There's male and female. That's it. X, 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 Y. And, and they threatened me. They pulled me off the side and threatened me and said, if you say his name, the guy of the bill, his name, or you use the word him or his we will remove you from the bill. I mean, we'll remove you from the well. And I said, okay. So I got up there and I read the stuff, and then I said, 
And his name is, and I started reading his name and immediately, leave the well, leave the well. It's all right. I got plans. So <clears throat> here's where we are with this. Guys, there has, to be, there has to be a point where we say, wait, what am I producing? What is, what is the actual fruit? And, and again, coming back to what Mark said, unforgiveness will stop you from doing what God has said. You may still be actively action-oriented doing stuff that's God's stuff, but if you don't forgive, there's no forgiveness for you, and if you don't forgive, you don't have power. And this is where Jesus is saying, when they say, well, what's, what's up with the withering of the fig tree? He says, you can say to a mountain, be cast into the sea. You know what he's telling them? This is what the church is supposed to look like, but it doesn't. He, he healed people. Jesus healed blind people and people that couldn't walk, all kinds of stuff. And when he did it, the people that picked on him was the church. He heals people and the church gets upset. Well, how did you, did you heal this by the power of Satan? You know he wanted to say, you're an idiot. That's the answer to that question. You are an idiot. I didn't heal by the power of Satan. Satan doesn't want people healed. Think about this. Jesus died on the cross to provide for our healing. And he was attacked by the church. Oh, you're healing on Sundays. Saturdays, really. But you're, you're, what, what is up with all this? And so when Jesus, when Jesus says to them, this, you, think I, you think I just withered a little tree Guys, do you realize that the church is supposed to be able to say to mountains, move, and they move? Because why? We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the power of the creator of those mountains. You know, Jesus was wanting to say something like, this is just a little fig tree. This is no biggie. You can move mountains. And that's what the church is supposed to look like. That's what it's supposed to be. Right. So three things. <clears throat> Church at Briargate must, number one, obey the word of God. Guys, this is going to be, this is going to become more and more challenging. This is going to continue to be more challenging as society moves the direction that it is. When they can tell me as a voted in representative of almost 100,000 people that I'm not allowed to use a guy's name that they wanted to name the bill after, I can't use his name. Guys, that's Marxism. The next bill, by the way, was allow children to change their names and their sexual identity and all this stuff. And it now is illegal for parents to, t I mean, for teachers to tell the parents. It's now illegal. And they told us it's because parents are not in charge of their children. That's what they told us. The state is, the school is. Guys, that's Marxism. Now force speech, not just free speech, but force speech. You think it's not going to be affecting the church soon? We're already being, seeing this being pushed where there's only certain things we can do or say in the church. This seems like a little one, but they have another bill that's coming up this session that uh, you can't, even if you have a concealed carry permit, you can't carry in, in uh, sensitive spaces, which is church is mentioned in there. I can promise you I'm never going to ask if you're carrying even if I see it strapped to your back with a strap and gun things coming over, I will never ask you if you are carrying. You know why? It's not anybody's business but yours. 
But it's coming to the church. We're not going to be able to say certain things. We're not going to be able to do certain things. It's coming to the church. The second thing, love God and serve him completely. We've got to do this at Church of Priority. If we ever lose this, there's no reason for us to exist, in my opinion. You've got to love God completely. And the third thing is we've got to produce fruit. We've got to produce fruit. So here's the way I'd like to do this. <clears throat> I want us to pray for everybody, but, but I, I think the way that we can visually see this is I want our uh, board members and our pastors to come up front. And we're just going to let them represent us this morning. It's easier than everybody. So, um, but this is, what we're, this is what we're praying is those things. God, help us to keep our focus, help us keep our mind right. Help us to make sure that we are, um, that we are doing what you've told us to do. We have, we have great leaders here, great board, everything. There's, uh, I, have no, um, I have no problems with any of them, okay? They're, they're, they're leaders, and they're doing the best for the church. I can guarantee you that 100%. But we're going to let them represent us in this. In other words, we're not coming down and saying, Lord, please help Josh start producing fruit. He has not been doing that. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? What I'm saying is we are, but keep us focused. All right? Keep us focused. Um, and then that keeps us focused as a body. So why don't you guys kind of spread out because I'm going to have some people come up and pray if they want to. Anybody that wants to, um, come join us up here. But if everybody would stand, and uh, this is the way we're going to finish this. We're going to pray for these guys, girls, but we are, we are praying for ourselves in the process too. So if you'd like to come forward, go ahead. God, we, we thank you for giving us the opportunity to have church at Browgate. Lord, I don't take that casually. Lord, I, I know this is a you thing more than it's any of us. But Lord, at the same time, you've called us in this place to serve you, to worship you, to commit ourselves to you. God, and I want Church of Briargate to be what you want it to be, not what I or anyone else wants. Lord, I thank you for our staff. I thank you for our leadership, our board, our spouses. God, thank you for providing us with, with just such solid people to help lead Church of Briargate. Lord, we just commit them to you right now. That in their hearts and their minds, that they are about prayer, they're about every person in this room, and they're about souls getting saved. Lord, help us to be people of your word, to get into your word. Lord, I pray for every one of us in this room. I'd help us to produce the fruit that you desire. Lord, that souls will be saved, that lives will be truly changed, transformed. In the name of Jesus. Lord, you're the creator of everything. You're the creator of us. We submit ourselves to you. We submit Church of Briargate to you. Lord, help us to always recognize sin and push against it that we will resist temptation, that we will say no to sin. In Jesus' name. We thank you so much. So fill us with you. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your power. Fill us with compassion for the lost. And help us to follow you in everything that we are.
the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let someone know that Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody how amazing Jesus is. And God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad they're here. And we will see you Wednesday night.